Welcome to Scientific American Science Talk, posted on June 19th, 2017. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... The famous one, of course, is the python, uh, which has taken over the southern part of the Everglades. It's the point where scientists have found that there's virtually no more uh, small mammals out there. Uh, you know, No more foxes, no more rabbits, all gone all gobbled up by the python. That's award-winning journalist Craig Pittman. The native Floridian is a reporter at the Tampa Bay Times, where he's covered environmental issues since 1998. His latest book, his fourth, is Oh, Florida! with an exclamation point. How America's weirdest state influences the rest of the country from St. Martin's Press. And there's some weird science included. I spoke to Craig by phone. Scientific American and St. Martin's Press are both part of Macmillan. Craig, we have a, a very modern relationship. Uh, this is the first time we've ever spoken, but we have been exchanging messages through the uh, direct message function of Twitter for years now. Yeah. And uh, it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. Yes, indeed. So you've written this book. Um, I, I spend a fair amount of time in Florida. My parents moved there to Boca Raton, which you talk about a fair amount in the book. Uh, they moved there in the... It's a fun word to say, too. Boca Raton. It, it trips <laughs> off the tongue. They moved there in the late 80s, and I spent uh, a lot of time. I, I uh, really fell in love with the Loxahatchee National Wildlife Refuge, and I go down to the Everglades and Shark Valley in the Everglades a lot, and I've spent time at the preserves on the West Coast. What I don't care for is what most people go to Florida for, um, you know, the sprawl, the the traffic, all the other people, uh, and you've got a lot of that in the book. But there's it, the book is wide-ranging, but there's a lot of science in the book because a lot of science happens in Florida. Uh, right. for, for example, and I've been doing most of the talking so far, I'm going to try to stop that. For example, <laughs> I used to go uh, into the Everglades with rangers on what they called sluice logs where you would walk from the hammocks, which are the, the little islands in the Everglades, from hammock to hammock. But in between, you might be doing a couple hundred yards waist deep in the Everglades water. And, you know, you, there was a little concern about alligators, but alligators are pretty uh, shy about people and, and they go away. I won't do that anymore. <laughs> I ain't doing no more sluice logs with these 15 feet long Burmese pythons that are now in the Everglades. So let's talk about the invasive species in Florida that you discuss in the book. There are lots of them, and they're very charismatic, but they're freaking me out, man. <laughs> well, that's the proper attitude to have, I think. Um, uh, yeah, Florida has more invasive species than any other state, so that's something we can be proud of and put on our you know, our state flag and so forth. Uh, and, um, I mean, I think it's to the point where we might have, like, a little Statue of Liberty saying, you know, bring me your your icky, your your uh, <laughs> your sticky, and your slimy, um, because that's what that's what we're getting. Uh, the famous one, of course, is the python, uh, which has taken over the southern part of the Everglades. It's the point where scientists have found that there's virtually no more uh, small mammals out there. Uh, you know, no more foxes, no more rabbits, all gone, all gobbled up by the pythons. But there are lots of others uh, out there too. Um, uh, Argentine tegus. I talked to a guy who actually said one had stalked him in his driveway when he went out to take his take his garbage out one one morning. Well, um, talk about uh, we, what. Explain what a tegu is. It's a very vicious 
big lizard, and people like to get them when they're small because they think they're cute and, and make cute pets, and then they get big and mean, and they and people go, huh, maybe I should just turn this loose in the backyard and say goodbye to it. So, you know, it runs it runs free and goes out and starts, you know, gobbling up uh, native tortoise eggs and and laying waste to the to the native species here. Uh, so that the the people who I know who are who watch invasive species say that's the next big one that Florida needs to worry about the Argentine tegus. Um, we have iguanas that have shown up in in on both sides of the state, uh, and their only enemy appears to be the cold. So that you know when we have a cold snap, they tend to kind of freeze up and fall out of the trees. So that's something else you need to watch out for as you're walking around in Florida. Is, you know, if it's a cold day, they, you might get hit on the head with an iguana. You know, um, I was driving once from uh, Boca to the Fort Lauderdale airport, so I'm I'm getting off of uh, the turnpike onto 595 for you Florida fans. Yes, and there's a there's an iguana running around on the on ramp. I mean, they're everywhere. I was and the the really impressive thing I saw was on the corner of uh, Palmetto and 441 in West Boca. There were at least a half dozen iguana just wandering around in this really small patch of dirt and grass. Sure, they're they're everywhere. In fact, um, Sanibel, an island over on the Gulf Coast, they actually passed an iguana tax so that the people on Sanibel were paying a tax in order to hire a trapper to come out and, and capture and kill their iguanas. They had reached that level of annoyance with them there. And these are, you know, five six feet long. Oh yeah, they're big. I, the ones I saw when I, I went to Sanibel in the in the mid '80s, writing a story about it, and they were running around on their hind legs like little Godzilla. It, right. it was quite a sight. It was great, you know, just running across the road <laughs> uh, and churning up everywhere. One guy told me he had one that had burrowed in. He had a, a stilt house, and it had burrowed into the uh, into the insulation under the house, so that at night when he's trying to go to sleep, he can hear it under there crunching, crunching, crunching. Oh keeping him awake. Uh, one lady I talked to had one that turned up in her toilet, which, of course, freaked her out because she was trying to sit down at the time. Um, yes, the, so, the animals <laughs> in the toilet stories are always a little shocking. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah. Those are popular. And, and just recently, we actually had a story where a plumber got called because a, an iguana was clogging the toilet. <laughs> he, had to, he had to pull it out and get it out there. Um, and these all happen, they're brought in by people as pets, and then they just let them loose. A lot of them, yeah, yeah. a lot of them. Um, uh, you know, the pythons, they think that's certainly the way they happen. Is there, you know, there, was a, there was an Adam python and an Eve python that got turned loose by their owners and began procreating wildly out in the, out in the Eden-like wilderness of the Everglades. And, what's uh, the... and it, it didn't help that when Hurricane Andrew came along, it, you know, it freed quite a few from pet stores too. Uh huh. And the uh, and Andrew was what ninety two. Yes. Yeah. Right. So yeah. they uh, they've had a they've had decades now to just have their way. And, right. And what's do you have any idea what the current uh, estimate of the python population in Florida is? Uh, one estimate is five thousand to ten thousand, but nobody knows because you know they're ambush hunters. They they lay in wait for their for their prey, and they're perfectly still. And even when they have uh, tracking devices on the pythons that they have captured and turned back loose again and they're standing right on top of them they can't see them uh so they're they're very very stealthy uh and also um i don't know if you saw this but they're turning up in the keys now Mm -hmm. they've actually they had found that found them swimming over there but now they're actually uh procreating in the in the keys as well which is very nerve-wracking for the folks there that's right everybody they can swim 
Yep. <laughs> yes, they can. And there have been these organized hunts to try to get rid of a lot of the pythons, but they just take a small fraction. Yeah, and and it's you know I think I think there's a, as as with many things in Florida, there was some false advertising involved there in that in that there was ne- that was never a serious attempt to get rid of a big chunk of the pythons because you just can't. Uh, you know, a lot of the folks who turned up for those hunts were reality show wannabes who wound up you know, dazed and sunburned and dehydrated out in the, out in the wilderness. But, uh, for the scientists, it was a, it was a tremendous boon because, you know, all at once they get 60, 70 pythons turned in from different points and they can say, okay, the, the, you know, here's the GIS point where that one was captured. Here's the stomach contents. And for them, it's a, you know, a tremendous source of, uh, of new information about where the pythons are, what they're eating, what they're doing, that kind of thing. Uh, so there's a, Small silver silver lining in this dark cloud yep. of pythons, but <laughs> then again, you know, if the, we didn't want them there in the first place, so it's hard right. to say that there's any good that's coming out of it. But uh, hopefully, they'll they'll get a handle on it. But uh, I, I think it makes. I think the other thing though is it makes people appreciate the alligators more because the gators are fighting back. You know, the <laughs> we have had several instances where people snap pictures of alligators battling the pythons, and sometimes the pythons win. Uh, you know, there's a picture in my book of three U.S. Geological Survey employees holding up a python that has a six-foot alligator inside of it. Right. Uh, and then sometimes the alligators win. Uh, there was a picture just recently of an alligator swimming along, had a big python in it, clenched in its mouth, and, you know, sort of a toothy, triumphant smile on its on its face. And then there was so, the famous photo from, what, about eight years ago where the python... 2005. Yeah, yeah. 2005, where the, yeah. uh, the alligator worked his way out. Yeah, he had clawed, he had, he, while he was being swallowed by the python, he had clawed the python from the inside so it exploded so they both died but you know that python won't be eating any more gators <laughs> right <laughs> if i'm gonna go you're going with me that's right i'm taking you down with me <laughs> and uh so you have a section in the book on the invasive species but later in the book in, in your section on some of the odd religion things that go on there you you talk about another invasive uh, my the, favorite the giant african land snail Yes, that's actually my favorite invasive species in Florida because it's got such a great origin story, um, and and the way that we're combating it is is so bizarre and unusual too. Um, the origin story being, you know, these things were brought in by a religious cult that uh, believed that drinking their mucus, drinking the mucus of these snails that are as big as your hand, could give you health, and of course it has the opposite effect. <laughs> People came down with you know, hepatitis and stuff like that, and they had to go to the hospital. Um, and uh, so the one of the people who was bringing them in, she, this lady, she actually put several of these giant snails up under her dress and got on board a plane in Nigeria and flew to the United States. And I just, I picture the guy sitting in the seat next to her looking over going, ma'am, did you know your dress is very slowly undulating back and forth? <laughs> um, and so these things are just a, a holy terror. They're, they're all over Miami-Dade County. They're spreading up into Broward County, and they eat 500 different kinds of fruits and vegetables. Some of them commercially very valuable. They, uh, they're they hermaphrodites, so they just breed wildly. They produce, you know, lots more snails all the time. And they uh, uh, they will actually eat the stucco off the side of your house if, if necessary. And so the Florida Department of Agriculture, in trying to combat this horrible, slow-moving menace, uh, has acquired some dogs that it is trained to sniff out snail mucus. So, uh, so they can track them down and, and kill them. And so, I, you know, I think Florida should capitalize on that and 
make that our, you know, one of our state advertising slogans, come to Florida, the only state that has snail-sniffing dogs. Exactly. And and these snails are bigger than your hand, bigger than a fist. Yes, they're, they're gigantic. I, I went to a, a lab down in Miami on the Deering Estate where the uh, state folks, are ma- they are maintaining some of them alive for the purposes of training the dogs and giving the dogs a sense of the, the old, rather rather overwhelming smell of these things. And so I got to see one held, you know, the scientist who held it up for me, it was as, it was as big as her hand, the little eye stalks popping up and back and, and so forth. It's pretty gross. But they keep them under lock and key because she said, you know, I know I know any getaway would be a very, very slow getaway, but these things are so dangerous. We're, our rules say we have to keep them locked up. And an invasive that we didn't talk about, we, we mentioned that the pythons can swim. The monkeys can swim, too. Yes. Um, in in uh, about 1930, there was a guy who ran a jungle cruise through the Silver Spring area in central Florida, and he thought he would spice up his jungle cruise by bringing in some rhesus macaques and turning them loose on an island uh, there in the river, in, in the Silver River. And uh, he was very surprised to discover that the monkeys could swim, so they didn't stay put. They started spreading and uh, outlasted the jungle cruise because they, they are still out there. There's about 100 of them now in the colony. Uh, several scientists have gone in and studied their, you know, their society and how they communicate with each other and how they get along and so forth, which is kind of interesting. The state parks people would love to get rid of them. Um, I don't want to go into a lot of details, but let me just mention the magical phrase, Reese's feces, uh, which is probably the worst candy flavor ever. Um, um, and, but they, the tourists love them. The tourists absolutely adore, you know, seeing these monkeys cavorting through the trees, and they love to take pictures of them, and they just think it's wonderful. So the state has left them there. Uh, and one of them uh, actually was, I think, shunned by the by the main group and had to leave for some unknown reason and came over to our area, the Tampa Bay area, and became known as the Mystery Monkey of Tampa Bay and roamed around for about three years before anybody was able to catch it. And it became such a celebrity that prior to the 2012 Republican National Convention, the New York Times... Uh, sent someone here and actually did a profile of the monkey. <laughs> what did that have to do with the convention? I have no idea. <laughs> it was just a great story. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, we were we were getting updates in the media about the mystery monkey of Tampa Bay regularly for a couple of years there. We were all pretty sad when it was captured uh, as journalists because you know it was just a great it was a great subject to write about and it was showing up in people's backyards and exhibiting signs of actually being kind of lonely and and you know there's one there was one great picture and the guy who took it let me use it in the book of the monkey in staring at this backyard art installation that has a mirror on it so it's like he's looking at himself in the mirror going what are you doing with your life man (laughs) (laughs) but he's now he's now in captivity he has mated and uh you know so to that extent his life has improved but ours of course is a little poorer for not having that element of the unexpected popping up. But, I mean, we still have other people who own exotic wildlife that get out from time to time. I've mentioned in the book about the the guy whose llama escaped up in Tallahassee and the Leon County Sheriff's Office used their tasers to subdue it because, you know, what else do you use <laughs> as a police officer uh, on, a, on a llama? A lasso, um, yeah. And then yeah, we, and, and... What was and, the story uh, about the guy with the, hey, do I need a permit for these? Yeah, I was uh, hanging out at the Fish and Wildlife Service office at the Miami airport, and uh, uh, a guy comes up to the window. He's, you know, he's got his blonde hair tied up in a in a do red do rag, and he's trying to be cool. Um, and he tells the officer on duty, "Hey, uh, I I just bought a tiger off a guy, and he didn't he didn't have any papers on it. Is that going to be a problem?" 
<laughs> she said, well, sir, first let's talk about where tigers live. It's not Florida. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and the conversation kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> right. So, you know, humans, to uh, some extent, are also an invasive species. The, the, uh, <laughs> the population of Florida has just erupted, I don't know, what's the word, blossomed, exploded. Uh, over I think the... all of those are, are accurate. <laughs> yeah. and, and, of course, a, a famous segment of the Florida population is uh, the senior citizens. And you had a stat in the book I had never seen before. And I've driven in Florida, so this the, the, the numbers are astounding but not surprising. Let me put it that way. <laughs> uh, of people who are between 91 and 100, there are 65,000 with driver's licenses in Florida, and there are 455, This these are 2012 stats, 455 licensed drivers 100 years old or older. And right, and they're all in front of you right now with their turn signal on, by the that's way. That's right. They're, <laughs> they're doing 35 in the left lane, and they're signaling yes. for a left. Yes, and, uh, and then they're going to turn right <laughs> in about three miles. You know, the roads aren't the most dangerous place. As, as I'm sure you know, the most dangerous place is the public's parking lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> and not just because the manager is having a fight with his wife and his girlfriend in front of the, in front of the deli. <laughs> right. Those are, that's the big supermarket chain in Florida for people who don't know. <laughs> well, and, and you probably saw that the uh, uh, in 2012, so many people rammed into post offices in Florida that the Postal Service started running public service ads playing, please stop. <laughs> we right. don't need a drive-through. Right. <laughs> Please stop hitting our postal postal facilities. And that's because they're they're hitting the accelerator when they mean to be hitting the brake. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, a, a condition I have heard referred to as sudden elderly acceleration syndrome. Something that I'm sure will afflict all of us someday. Nice. So. <laughs> and uh, Florida was the testing ground for DDT. Yes, uh, the the scientists believed that the tropical uh, atmosphere here was perfect for testing that out, so they were spraying it willy-nilly everywhere they could. And, you know, the good news, of course, was it killed lots of mosquitoes and other bugs, and the bad news was it was also killing ducks and everything else. So way before uh, Rachel Carson uh, was writing about it, we were seeing firsthand what DDT could do. And uh, the the modern air conditioning that we all take for granted and which makes Florida survivable, uh, owes uh, to origin to a Dr. John Gorey. Yes, who, Dr. John uh, Gorey, a, yeah. a visionary and, who we treated as a crackpot, of course. Uh, he was trying to cool down his patients, so he came up with a way to to convey air over some uh, some ice and create a sort of a refrigerated breeze for them. Um, you know, of course, the it was the carrier folks who eventually were able to commercialize it and, and make it a success, but. So he died penniless, but now he's one of our two statues that Florida has in Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. The other being a Confederate general who we're now eagerly trying to replace with somebody else. <laughs> and uh, and what's also interesting is back in the middle of the 19th century when he patented his creation, uh, his invention, yellow fever and malaria was still common in, in the South. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they, and a lot of people thought you could treat uh, yellow fever epidemics by shooting off cannons. I'm not <laughs> sure I understand how the, what the connection is, but that was what they would do. If people, there were a lot of people fell ill with yellow fever, they would just start shooting off cannons in Tampa. That, that was the that was the RX. It would it would <laughs> scare the uh, scare the miasma the, or something like right, that. Right, <laughs> exactly. 
And uh, I'm afraid you're not number one in plastic surgery. You're only number three of all the 50 I know. states. We tried so hard. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> but, but I think that you're going to surpass the, uh, the leaders, which are the District of Columbia and Maryland, and, uh, and, and roar into the number one spot any day. <laughs> Probably so, especially if they include uh, using Fix-A-Flat on, uh, on, uh, on people's buttocks. I think if they add that in, we might surpass them now. Which, which is, you're not kidding around. Uh, people are doing that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's a major problem here. Uh, Unlicensed. Quite a few people, yeah. yes. Unlicensed buttock enhancement is a, is a, major, a major industry here and a major uh, source of... Uh, News and and uh, court proceedings here. Uh, my favorite one being the the uh, person who was doing a lot of those illegal injections and had actually treated himself to the point where he had a rather enormous uh, posterior. And during one of his hearings, actually told the judge that he was tired of everything and he, he said, "I just want to put it all behind me." <laughs> just that's just terrible. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> now sinkholes are are really popular in Florida. I wouldn't say popular, but they're common. Right. <laughs> they happen a lot. It's part of the whole deal where Florida's trying to kill us. You know, we're the we have we're the sinkhole capital of America. We get hit by more hurricanes than any other place. We have more lightning strikes here in Florida than anywhere else in the United States. And you know, and we have a clown college down in Sarasota too. And yet we tell people this is paradise and they should move down here, and they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, it's a rite of passage among New Yorkers to move to Florida or at least spend the winter there. Yes. So, but but what goes on with the sinkholes? Why are they especially common in Florida? Uh, well, uh, much of our geology is uh, what they call karst, which is this sort of uh, Swiss cheese made out of limestone uh, with lots of caverns that can crumble easily because of the, the water that's in them and flowing back and forth in them. Um, we have cave divers who go down and, and shoot these marvelous uh, videos and, and photos of what it looks like down there where we're getting our water from, our drinking water from. But the, 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 when the karst starts to collapse, then a sinkhole opens up, and whatever was on top comes tumbling in. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a great example of conspicuous consumption because it'll swallow you know, pools, urban sprawl, uh, car dealerships, uh, and it can cause major problems. We had a, a sinkhole uh, last month where uh, it, it swallowed a, about 215 million gallons of contaminated water from a phosphate processing plant uh, and in basically close to the same spot where the exact same thing happened in 1994. But nobody thought it was a good idea to close the plant because, gee, what if it, that couldn't possibly happen twice in the same place, could it? <laughs> well, it did. The, the 1994 incident is in your book, right? Yes. Yes, but, it is. Yeah, but the other wags one... were calling it the, the new Disney ride, Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> but the new one, obviously, is not in the book because the book no, came out. it just happened. Right. It just happened. And, and then the, the company uh, that owned the phosphate plant, Mosaic, and the Florida Department of Environmental Protection n- knew this was going on and didn't tell anybody about it for three weeks. And then once it got out, then everybody's like, why didn't you tell us? And the DEP said, we weren't legally required to as long as the contamination wasn't detected off-site. So they they were saying we went above and beyond what the law requires and even telling you anything about it. Amazing. So <laughs> Mosaic has now apologized uh for that and Governor of Florida Rick Scott uh who is not exactly a Sierra Club member came out and said, "You know what? That law is stupid and we should change it." <laughs> so the contaminated water 
goes down into the sinkhole and then goes right into the aquifer, right? Yes, that's correct. Think of it as flavoring for our drinking water. <laughs> Lovely. Um, so you mentioned the Sierra Club. Uh, one of the things I learned reading your book was the relationship between John Muir, who you always think of as being a Westerner, and the Muir Woods out in California, mm-hmm. and uh, the the national parks. Camping with Teddy Roosevelt, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But it turns out John Muir has this very uh, very intimate Florida connection. Right. He, he did this thousand-mile walk to the Gulf that he wrote about. And his goal, remember, was to get to Cedar Key and then from there go to Cuba by boat. And so he's nearing the end of his American, the American leg of his journey. Uh, and for one thing, finding the Florida woods are a little too tough for him to get through because we've got these, you know, these plants, these Spanish bayonets that poke at you and, and, uh, uh, sawgrass that, you know, will cut, will cut you up. And, and good Lord, he was really scared of the alligators. So he, he avoided them at all costs. Um, but he gets to a certain point near Cedar Key and is felled by a mosquito. A mosquito bites him, and, and uh, he, you know, swoons from a fever, and he is laid low for for quite some time. And so, while he is in Cedar Key recovering, he has this epiphany that maybe not everything in nature is intended to benefit man. Maybe there are things in nature that are actually hostile to man, like alligators and mosquitoes, and and maybe those things exist for their own purposes. And that sort of begins to shape his thinking on the environment and on nature, and that sort of sets him on the course of, you know, creating the, the American environmental movement. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, the uh, I just remembered, I, I think it was in the late 90s, I accompanied a couple of researchers into the Everglades. Uh, no, it, it was actually uh, up near Loxahatchee, which is the, the uh, historic Everglades ecosystem, but not Everglades yes. National Park. Right. And I went right. with them at about 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, and for to set up their research, which they had to do at sunrise, uh, they were they were putting in uh, bird decoys to see if the birds flying overhead would stop where they already saw birds, or would keep going and and had their own regular places where they would go visit for their morning meals. So they had all these uh, pink flamingos that they painted white, and once <laughs> once once you get a few feet away, they they look like egrets. <laughs> so um, especially in the you know the low light of uh, dawn. So it's four in the morning, and we're waist deep in the water, and I'm wearing uh, waders and uh, netting because the most dangerous animal out there is not the rattlesnake, is not the alligator. Uh, I didn't know about the pythons then, uh, <laughs> is the encephalitis-ridden mosquitoes. Yes. And, and, of course, now they're carrying Zika, too. Right, which is uh, a, a really big deal. That's an ongoing news story for you in Florida right. is the Zika. Right, right. Um, so mosquitoes were, were the big concern. Now, let's talk about the weather a little bit. Um, I I worked in Miami one summer, and... You know, it's a it's a cookie cutter weather forecast. It's going to be hot, humid, sunny, and about four o'clock, you're going to have a tremendous thunderstorm, right. <laughs> like clockwork. And that's our afternoon light show with all the lightning too. <laughs> so, why are there more? I think in the book you say that it's it's the lightning capital of the Western Hemisphere. Only Rwanda, for some reason, has more lightning than Florida. 
Right. But why? Are we lucky? I think we're pretty lucky in that regard. And 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 I don't know if you saw the part where I mentioned the University of Florida researchers discovered it, that in the wake of some of our lightning strikes, they've actually detected rogue antimatter in the atmosphere. Yes. Which I think explains an awful lot about Florida, really. Uh, you <laughs> right think, there. You think, it's, you think it's affecting people's thoughts? I think so. <laughs> so the, any idea why there's so much lightning? Um, it's the, you know, it's just our, our geography and, you know, we're this peninsula that sticks out between the Atlantic, you know, with the, uh, with the Gulf Stream and then, and then the, the Gulf of Mexico and the conflicting, uh, uh, air masses that come in from both clash inevitably over and over again. And we get the, we get the benefit of it. And, uh, one of the other things because of the, the, uh, turbulence in the atmosphere, uh, you talk about this one incident, but these things happen in various places. But this was the first time I ever heard of the golf ball rain. Ah, yes, in Punta Gorda. What was it, 69, I think? Labor Day uh, 1969, yeah. Yes, where uh, people in Punta Gorda were shocked to see that their regular afternoon thunderstorm was carrying something a little heavier than rain. It was carrying a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Titleists Now, these, also. <laughs> these, were, these were golf balls the size of hail? Yes, that's a good way to put it. Oh, I wish I'd thought of that one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and the theory is that, it, uh, you know, a water spout had somehow sucked up the contents of a golf course water hazard and then dropped him back down in the middle of downtown Punta Gorda. That's <laughs> just unbelievable. <laughs> uh, you know, th- th- these things, have, you got fish falling out of the sky sometimes right. or, or uh, frogs. And, yes. and this is typically how it happens. You get this incredible low-pressure system or a water spout, and it just picks up a bunch of stuff and dumps it over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's That's pretty... sort of the principle behind Sharknado, too, I think. Yes, I think so. You know, I have yet to see any... It's a highly scientific show, but... <laughs> I have yet to see any of the Sharknado. I think there are four now. There are four now. The third one is the is the best one, though, because that's the only one that takes place in Florida, which is the only place it really should take place, since we are the shark bite capital of the, of the world. There you go. So, <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of science in the book, and there's also a lot of stuff that's just fascinating and doesn't have anything to do with science. So there's a couple of lines I just want to read from the book. Um, uh, th- there have been so many land speculation uh, uh, rip-offs down there. But uh, yes. you have this great line where a farmer said that he had bought land by the acre and land by the foot, but this was the first time he'd ever bought land by the gallon, <laughs> which was great. And... Um, one of my favorite writers, Somerset Maugham, apparently called Florida a sunny place for shady people. <laughs> well, technically, he didn't. He was not referring to Florida. I just stole that line. Oh, and said, okay. He was talking about, I think, the Riviera, but oh. it just seemed far more appropriate for Florida. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com where you can watch the nature video about how African wildcats some 9,000 years ago took the first steps to become the domesticated kitties on your couch today, if you can call them domesticated. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. 